1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Today we're going to study four verses. They're part of the conclusion of John's first epistle. We have John's gospel, we have John's letters, and we have John's revelation, which really isn't John's revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it helps you keep in mind, all right, so he did John's gospel, he did 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he also wrote Revelation. As John concludes this short book, he chooses to give us some facts about which Christians are confident and can be confident. So I'm hoping this will be an encouragement to you today. I'll be honest with you, I have really wrestled with this several different times. I tried, I, well, I didn't, but I wanted to bail out on this because there are a couple difficult sections in this that I had a hard time with. And so I, I hope today that the Lord will use what I'm about to tell you to be an encouragement to you. We began first of First uh, John chapter 5, verse 1, where he teaches us we can be confident in the deity of Jesus Christ. You can know for certain Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, that we are not still waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah has come, and in fact, we are waiting for a second coming. Second coming is different from what we often will hear used the, the, um, the Latin term, the rapture. All right, Rapture is not in our Bible, but it's a term, if you've been in church, you hear that term often. The second coming and the rapture are different things you will be very confused in your theology if you try to read the rapture into second coming passages. You read Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, and if you try to make those the rapture, you're going to be a very confused person. It's really important that you understand we have the first coming and we have the second coming of the Messiah. We have the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ who will come and take his church. We are confident about the deity of Jesus Christ. We are confident about the security of our salvation, which is what we looked at on Wednesday night. We are confident about that based on John building these arguments. He says, because you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be confident of your eternal salvation. We are not doubting our salvation because our salvation is not based on our works. If it was based on me, I would forever not be saved. I'm saved because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may not always feel saved. 
But you can be confident that you are saved because the gift of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ, not by your works. Today we're going to look at the last aspect of confidence, and that is confidence that God will answer your prayers. This is an area that often we struggle with. We struggle with praying, and we struggle with answer to prayer, and we struggle with what does it take to get our prayers answered. Is there someone who's on praying grounds that can get their prayers answered, and we go to that person almost as if they are someone unique? Facts about which Christians can be confident. Answered prayer. Before we dive into these verses, let's pray together. Dear Father, we know it's your will that we understand your word. We know that you are more interested in us knowing your word than often we are. We know that you're always good. We ask that our understanding of prayer would increase and that our partnership with you as well as our relationship with you would deepen today. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. A few years ago, my oldest son was trying to tell me how cool a new way of payment is, and he wanted me to learn Apple Pay. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Maybe some of you use it all the time. Maybe some of you have seen the little symbols and you say, I have no idea what that is. Well, he talked about it. He said, Dad, this is a great way when we're shuffling money back and forth. That's not money laundering. That is just things that parents and kids do sometimes where they need money or they borrow and then they send it back. And this was a really easy way to do it. And he said, watch, Dad. He said, I'm going to put 10 bucks in your Apple wallet and you can spend it. And sure enough, my phone vibrates and I got 10 bucks from my son. This is a great day, right? I mean, anytime your kids are giving you money, this is really a good day. This is a banner day. So I've got 10 bucks in my Apple wallet. It's cool to have 10 bucks in your Apple wallet. What do you do with 10 bucks in your Apple wallet? So, you know, he was telling me, Dad, all you got to do, he said, you go up to, you, you can do, you can use it anywhere. And he said, you can just go up and you just hold your phone up to the device and it's going to read it and it'll give it to you. And, and I heard that and I knew that was really cool and I had it on my phone. In fact, it showed me all the time. I could open my Apple wallet and it said I had 10 bucks. That was a happy thought. But one day, while I was on break, in between driving my shuttle, I really got the munchies. I really was wanting a snack. And I walked into the student area where I was working, and there was this vending machine that had this wonderful cornucopia of Snickers bars and Twix and bags of Cheetos and potato chips. And I mean, it was, it was all the good staples, right? So I'm looking at all these, these things in the machine, and I didn't have any cash. 
And I'm kind of like the kid with his face pinned against the window, looking at all that stuff going, oh, that all looks good and I don't know how to get it and you shouldn't put your hand underneath and pull them out, right? So I'm looking at this and all of a sudden, Apple Pay. I've got money in my Apple wallet. And do you know, I took it out and I tapped it twice and I held it up to the machine and the machine said, what do you want to buy? And in just a few moments, a Snickers bar dropped out. And that was the beginning of a wonderful relationship between me and that vending machine until my 10 bucks was gone. <laughs> now, I've mentioned that to you because John addresses our resources in prayer. And I don't want you to forget about this large vending machine that I was talking about because I'm going to refer back to that vending machine again as we talk about prayer. Let's look at our verses again in 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Confidence concerning answered prayer. So we talk about confidence here. Confidence we find in chapter 2, verse 28, and he talks about we can have confidence in the Lord's coming. We don't have to wonder, will we have to be ashamed? Will we have to be put out? Will we not make it when Jesus Christ comes back? We can have confidence in chapter 2, verse 28. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, you can have boldness in the day of judgment. The word boldness there is the same word confidence. You can have confidence in the day of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, now if you would look at this one with me, in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, I want you to notice there again he says, you can be confident in prayer. Notice what he says here in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and... What's the conclusion of having confidence toward God? Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What do we find in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22? Literally, we can have confidence. We have freedom of speech to express our desires and our thoughts without hesitancy. Sometimes we need to talk with someone and we're uncomfortable to just go up and say, hey, I need this. Can you do this? We're hesitant. Why? Because we aren't confident that we have the freedom to actually ask for that. It happens with business people. It happens in families even sometimes. But notice what he says. He says in chapter 5, beginning at verse 14 again, and this is the confidence. This is a present possession. When he uses that term, he says, you currently possess this. This is the confidence that we have in him. What is the reason for our confidence? The reason for our confidence is being 
in him as a believer. Look just back one verse in verse 13, where there we read, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He wants you to be confident. Notice he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. He goes immediately from confidence in the assurance of our salvation to confidence in making requests. You see how he moves immediately into one into the other. He says, as a believer, you can be confident that you are saved, that you are rescued, that you have a right relationship with God. And as a believer now, you can be confident that because you are in him, your prayers will be answered. And this is the confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the resource that comes by being in him. If you've received Christ, you have this resource. If you have not received Jesus Christ, this is not a resource that is yours. You see, it has everything to do with the family relationship. And as we talk about prayer, you know, prayer is such an important thing. And we would all say, yes, I know, just like Scripture. Memory is important. I know prayer is important. But how many of us feel very awkward with prayer? We're afraid to maybe pray. And we definitely are afraid to pray in public. And we're afraid to pray around anyone else. It's just such a private thing. We don't talk about it. And yet, I don't think that's the way God intended it. You ever notice a child that wants something, that needs something? Do they really seem intimidated? Do they always wait until there's no one else in the room and then they walk up and just quietly mention it to you once? I don't think so. I've been to the grocery store and watched children who want the Cheetos or who want the whatever, and they don't seem to mind that the store is full of people when they say, Mom, can we get this? They might be putting it in the basket saying, Mom, can we get this as they're putting things into it? Why? Because, you know what, they, have an, they are confident in their relationship with you. And even if they've not been perfect, that does not stop them from asking for the Cheetos, does it? No, not at all. Mom, can we get this? Can we get this? Well, yeah, we can get that. And that wasn't on your list. You know, you come home with a lot less if you don't take your children and your husband, right? That's just the way this works. So all of a sudden you begin realizing... There is, because of the relationship, you are very comfortable to ask. He's saying, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If you are in Christ, you can have confidence in your prayers. And the reason is because we're in him. Notice the scope of our confidence. How broad is this? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything... No, wait, wait, I've got the wrong translation, don't I? What does yours say? Anything. If we ask anything. Now, you say, yes, but it does say according to his will. So let's stop and think about that for a moment. That's a tripper. That's one that we struggle with. Because we say, oh, I don't know if this is God's will, so I won't ask. Um... Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and what did we learn from that? We saw, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 
So is this saying that the only time you're going to get answer to prayer is if you live perfectly and you do things perfectly in front of his sight? Is really answer to prayer, is it really a carrot that God dangles in front of us? And if you can do everything exactly right, then maybe your prayers are answered. No, that's not what it's teaching. Otherwise, we would never bother praying. At least I wouldn't because I know me. I fail. So what, what is the scope? It's according to his commandments. It's according to those things that are pleasing in his sight. So what is this telling us? It's saying we need to pray based on what God's nature is like. So, what do we know about God's will? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I plead with you, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your life to God, which is only reasonable. And be not conformed, don't be like the world, but be transformed, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What do we know about God? God's good. God is good. We often... Satan wants us to think of him differently than that, but the reality is God is good. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. What do we know about God? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from whom? It is from God. If you see anything that's good, Satan didn't do it. Anything that is wonderful, anything that brings you joy, Satan didn't do that. God is the author of everything that's good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light. Remember, there's no darkness in him. What are we finding out? That we always start with God is good. So let me ask you this question. Can God give bad things? No. God cannot give bad things. How about if I ask God for something bad? Now, because I'm asking in prayer, will God give something bad? No, because God can't give bad things. You, you see how you have to begin with the premise, and that is, is, there, is it ever God's will to give you a bad thing? And the answer is no. It's never God's will to give you a bad thing. You know, if I pray or if you pray, Lord, let me have this great relationship with someone else's wife or someone else's husband. Is that a prayer God's going to answer? And the answer is no, because it's not a good thing. So now let's go back to my vending machine for just a moment. And I want you now to use your imagination. And I want you to not think of this little small square vending machine. I want you to think of the biggest vending machine ever, ever in the world. This huge glass building that just has everything in it. And I want you to think for a moment that it's God's vending machine. First of all, God gives you an unlimited Apple Pay card. And you can walk up, and you can use your watch, you can use your phone, you can do whatever, and you can swipe it, and it says the funds are there. 
Now let me ask you a question. What can you get out of the vending machine? And the answer is anything that's in the vending machine. You can't get something out of the vending machine that's not there, can you? But anything that's in it, if you have an unlimited supply, you can have it. Therefore, he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what's in the case, you've got it. God is good. And we resist this immediately, and we're going, yes, but, but surely I've got to do this, or surely I've got to do that. But remember, what gives you the Apple Pay? What gives you the access to what's in that machine? Is it because of your good works, or is it because of Jesus, your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's because of what you have with Jesus Christ. And therefore, when we ask, if we ask anything according to his will... He heareth us. Now, because everything God does is good, it's only the stuff that's in the machine that we want or should want. And there are times I ask for things that I shouldn't have. There are things that I ask for that I thought I was asking for the right thing, and it wasn't the right thing. And the exciting thing is, is that my father knows that, and my father still only gives me the good stuff. Therefore, we learned this. He said, we can ask for anything according to his will. God says that I can have whatever I want from the machine. Now, I'm not trying to trivialize this. I'm just trying to visualize this. I'm trying to let us recognize the importance of prayer and why we meet together for prayer and why prayer is such an important thing for our families and why prayer is such an important personal thing in our lives, and why we should have boldness to be asking for more than what we're asking for. The only thing you can't have are the things that God wouldn't put in the machine, and the only things you can't have that aren't in the machines are the things that aren't good. God says he's given me the resources. God only puts good things there. Now, I can't receive anything, as we've talked about, I can't receive anything that's not put there by God. I'm free to walk past the machine. I'm free to ignore the machine. I'm free to stand and look at what's in the machine, but I only receive what's in the machine when I ask for it. Now you know why Satan doesn't want us to ask. Now you know why he wants us so distracted. You're saying, are you telling me that I have all of this available 24-7? Exactly. There is never a time when it's shut down. That's why John is taking this huge time at the very end, and he's been talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ. You can know Jesus Christ. You can have fellowship with the Father. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And now we have this whole new collection of relationships because of Jesus Christ. We have friendships that we wouldn't have ever had before. We have confidence that Jesus is coming back. We can have confidence that when he comes back, we will go and be with him. In fact, we can be confident that we will be like him when we see him. We have God's seed implanted in us. We have all these different things. And then he tries to practically get us to understand, look, because of what I've just taught you, 
And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we're confident that we have the things that we've asked for before we get them. You can be confident when you ask, even though God has not answered that yet, that if you're asking according to God's will, he hears you. You're going to get it. Now, so often then, you immediately see these, these people that maybe miss the point. And it's a name it, claim it. It is a, I ask it, and I'm just going to ask God for this island. I'm going to ask God for this car. I'm going to ask God. And the problem was they have forgotten the phrase according to his will. You know, there are good things that are not necessarily good for me. And that's where I'm confident that my father always gives me what's best. Prayer is this amazing part of being God's child. It's based upon faith in Jesus Christ, not my performance. This part I didn't struggle with. I was really good to preach verses 14 and 15. 16 and 17 created some heartburn for me this week. Let's look at those two verses. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. He immediately takes now this principle. What's he been telling? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hear us. And what is the practical application he immediately takes? There is no break. There is no paragraph change here. Literally, he says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask prayer, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. And now he talks about a specific application, the specific occasion concerning intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when we are praying for someone else. Now, hopefully you can think of a number of different times in Scripture of intercessory prayer where you are praying in behalf of someone else. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, my little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. But, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Why did he tell us that? Because we have an intercessor, we have someone who is going for us, we have someone who is going before God for us when we sin. All right, we don't probably struggle with that. In fact, Jesus makes this comment in Luke chapter 22, talking with Peter, when Peter is saying, everyone else is going to fail, but I'm not going to fail. Everyone else is going to blow it. I'm not going to blow it. And Jesus says, Simon, 
Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art restored, when you're converted, when you're thinking the right thing again, you then will strengthen the brethren. Intercessory prayer is something that Jesus did on a regular basis. I find it interesting that this, verses 16 and 17, immediately flows from prayer to a specific use of prayer, and that is to be interceding for each other. So what's the illustration he gives here in our text? You see a brother, a sister, another person who is in Christ. You see that person sin a sin. What should be your response? Now, I'll be honest with you. The next phrase that says, where he says, Sin a sin which is not unto death. I have read many different commentaries. And I can tell you, at the end of the day, if, if it takes jumping through all the hoops that these guys present to understand what the Scripture is saying, John didn't reach his target audience. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take a very straightforward, simple explanation of this text. I recognize there are volumes that have been written on this. I believe today what I'm going to tell you is in character and in keeping with this text and would also make it so that someone who just reads this would understand it. I've given my disclaimer now, okay? They saw and they knew a person's sin and these people either saw it or they knew about believers that sinned and died. I mean, the classic example, which was shown over and over and over again in these commentaries, was Ananias and Sapphira. There aren't a lot of texts in Scripture where we read that someone sins a sin and immediately falls down and died. You have uh, Herod in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. There are probably other ones you can think of. I'm, I'm struggling to pull lots of illustrations of that. So if that were the only thing, what I would come back to is, if you see a person sin, and they're still alive, your first response should be to be interceding for them. That's usually not the way things happen. We talk about them. We go behind their back. We ignore them. We shun them. But usually the primary focus is not that we pray for them. I mean, Peter's just about to really do a big one. I don't even know the man. That's kind of bad, isn't it? 
Oh no, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I'm not a believer. I didn't know who you were talking about. In fact, sauce it up just a little bit with your, with your language to make sure that they believe you because obviously Christians don't talk that way, right? And what was Jesus' response? Only Jesus could do it beforehand. And Jesus said, I know what's coming. And I've prayed for you. And then we come to John. And John, who saw this whole thing, remember John was there when that took place. John sees this whole thing and John says, you can ask anything you want. And he says, and when you see a person sin, your first response should be to pray for them. Now, obviously, if a person is dead, there's nothing your prayers can do. You know, there are the people that tell you to light a candle for the dead. It's not going to do anything. Because the person's dead. Can't change it. There's a group of people that go through and do massive genealogies trying to figure out people's names and to see who's in your family, and they get baptized for the dead people. Can't help them. But John says, if you see a person sinning, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him, these he's, all, all, these pronouns all of a sudden start getting a little confusing, and depending on which translation you've read, maybe it clears it up a little bit. But the reality is this, God will give you, the prayer, the ability to give life to that individual. All right, now, let's back up for a moment. He's talking about a brother. That person already has life in him. <coughs> Therefore, we know that um, this isn't salvation. But we do know that sin deadens. Sin sucks the life out of someone. Some translations have it that God gives to us, which will give to him life. And some translations will say God gives to that. When we pray like this, God gives to that person life. And I'm okay with either one because the reality is it's the conduit or it's the direct, but it all takes place because of prayer. Therefore, the context of the passage is not in any way mistreated. Notice this result. God will give life because of your prayer. Your prayer will enable you to give life from God to the individual. What I want you to notice is it's God's will that we intercede people. We now are participating in this. We see. We pray. We become part of it. A few weeks ago on Wednesday as we were doing the Bible study in Luke, we looked at the fact, you know, when we're confronting someone, when we're dealing with sin, as we looked at those texts, three of the four things that it mentions we do ourselves before we actually get to the confrontation side of it. 
we do a lot of prep before we ever go to the individual. And I think the reason why individuals don't respond very well to us is because we often forget the three things we're supposed to do and we just pick up on, I'm gonna go and confront. What I want you to notice here is John just says, I want you to start with prayer. Some people would say, well, is this addressing the sin unto death? That's not what he's talking about and he never gives an answer. Therefore, theologians for years have wrestled through those different things and I'm just telling you, we can do what it simply says here. We can wrestle with some of those bigger things later but the reality is, if you see a person who's sinning and he's not dead yet, he hasn't done the sin unto death, you can pray for him. And God can use you to bring light and life into that person's life. This, this idea of prayer is such an incredible thing. There are several points I just want you to consider today. First of all, God wants us to pray. Men not always to pray. And the problem is, if we don't pray, what happens? We, according to the scriptures, men not always to pray and not to faint. What happens when we don't pray? We faint. We give up. We can't handle it. So God wants us to pray. Second, I want the important point to consider this morning is God promises to answer all prayer that's according to his will. We have this huge opportunity in front of us. We have an unlimited card we can swipe. He says, you have not because you ask not. Then he says, you ask and you ask amiss. God, why didn't you answer my prayer request? It's not in the machine. Why isn't it in the machine? It's not good. God's will cannot be bad. Third thing to consider this morning is God wants us to pray for others just as Jesus did, and our prayers can bring life Fourth thing to consider this morning is prayer is important in the life of a church. We can humanly make this church grow and be big, but it doesn't mean God did it. God can grow this church and make it big, and we can sit back with amazement and say, look what God did. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Will you use this important part of your spiritual heritage and recognize how much more we could pray? Use what's in the machine. Facts Christians are confident about. Answer to prayer.